going to jump back into our series going through the Gospel of Matthew. We took off the month of June to uh, focus on some cultural issues from the Word of God. And now we're jumping back into uh, Matthew's Gospel. And so I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 5 and also Matthew chapter 19 as we're going to look at uh, a passage from Matthew 19 as well. Of course, as uh, Pastor Mark mentioned, we do have church tonight at 6 o'clock and you're all welcome to come on out. And we are going to continue our spiritual warfare series. And tonight we're doing an introduction to the armor of God. And so I hope that you'll join us tonight. I know that it will be a blessing to you. I also want to make mention the next two Sundays, I'm going to be on vacation with my family, and I'm glad you're excited about that. Uh, so I will be gone the next two Sundays, uh, but Pastor Mark will be here filling the pulpit, and I know he always does a fantastic job, and we'll just keep going through uh, Matthew's Gospel on Sunday morning, and then the Armor of God on Sunday evenings, and so I uh, just want to make you aware of that. So Matthew chapter 5, I, I do as we're jumping back into this want to just remind you of where we're at and what the context is here. You'll recall that at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5 where in verse 1 it says, seeing the crowds Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him. That Jesus here in this, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus here is doing is he is giving the proper interpretation, the proper understanding of another sermon that happened on another mountain. That sermon that happened on another mountain was when Moses went up Mount Sinai and received God's law for God's covenant people. And over time, there had been a lot of twisting, a lot of distortions of that covenant law for God's covenant people. And Jesus now coming as the initiator of the new covenant, he gives us the proper interpretation of God's covenant law for God's covenant people. And you and I, through faith in Christ, have been brought into that covenant, that new covenant. It's not a covenant of works. It's not a covenant by which we are made right with God through our own law keeping. But it is a covenant of grace. By grace have you been saved. Not of works. It is the gift of God. And so through the perfect work of Christ on the cross, we who have trusted in him and in that work have received forgiveness of our sins, of which are many. Amen? Amen? And so Jesus here is now interpreting and, and teaching what it will look like to live as a part of his kingdom. His kingdom. Remember last week, I don't know if you remember last week, I, I talked to you about, I taught on the kingdom of God. That God reigns. Amen? That Christ is king, he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords. Well, this king, to, to be a king and to have a kingdom, guess what you have to have? You have to have a kingdom law. He we, we, has his kingdom people, we are his kingdom people. 
but His law, and this is His law for us, and what it looks like to live as a part of His kingdom. And so that's what this sermon is. It's what it looks like to live as part of the kingdom of God. We see this here in uh, chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus said clearly, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's the, what we call the Old Testament scriptures. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That word fulfill literally means to put into full force or to bring it into fruition. That through time and history, the law and the prophets had been corrupted, distorted, if you will, by false interpretations. Jesus says, I'm not come to abolish them, but to put them into full force, to bring them to their ultimate fulfillment. And then he goes on to teach us uh, about how to rightly interpret God's law. So he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he even told us that his law, the, the law of God, is binding. In verse 18, he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away. And how many of you can look around and say that hasn't happened yet? Okay, we're still here. Heaven and earth have not passed away. Until heaven and earth passed away, not an iota, not a dot. He's saying the smallest stroke of the pen, even down to the punctuation of God's law, will not pass until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do, to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus, from here, he goes on to list six things, six distortions on the law of God, six common teachings that were prevalent in his day that he is correcting. And we see that by him saying, you have heard it was said this, you have heard it was said that. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is not correcting Moses. Because Moses brought God's law, and God's law is good, and God's law is perfect. Moses didn't need correction. Moses' interpreters are what needed correction, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so we looked at the first two of these that dealt with anger and that dealt with lust. And here we now come to the third one. And I just want to... Uh, lay this as a, uh, just a, a, a warning to you today that, that this is a sensitive topic. The, the issue that we, Jesus deals with here today is a, a, a sensitive issue because it, it deals with uh, some of the most uh, difficult things that we will ever face in life, and that has to do with relationships with relationships, and specifically marriage relationships, and even more specifically, when a marriage dissolves into divorce. And so I want to uh, just treat this here today with uh, a great deal of sensitivity because I know that there is a great amount of pain around this issue. In fact... 
when, when a marriage ends in divorce, I don't know that there is anything more painful than that in all of human experience. And I just want to say this morning that if you are here and you have been through a divorce, God loves you. God loves you. I know that the scripture says that God hates divorce. And let me tell you, God does hate divorce. But the reason God hates divorce is because he loves you. And the pain and the anguish and the turmoil and the destruction that divorce brings to our lives. And not just divorce, but the sins that precede a divorce. And so as we deal with this this morning, I, I just want you to know that God loves you, that you are not marked with some sort of stigma or some sort of unforgivable sin, and, and that many times when a marriage ends in divorce, there has been a great deal of betrayal, a great deal of abuse, a great deal of, of sin that has been perpetrated against you, possibly even as a victim. And I want you to know that God's heart is towards you today. The Bible says that God is near. He is close to the broken hearted. And so with that uh, laid uh, as a bringing us up to date on the context, let's look at verse 31. And then immediately we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 19 and look at that passage. Then we will pray and then we will uh, begin working through this together. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Again, Jesus correcting the, the teaching that's prevalent in his day. He says this, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 19. That's a very short summary teaching that Jesus gives here in Matthew 5, correcting a false teaching. It's, we, we are somewhat at a disadvantage when we simply read Matthew 5 without understanding the context of the false teaching that Jesus is correcting. But we get a greater glimpse of this in Matthew chapter 19, in verse 3. The Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him. Okay, so they're not being genuine. They're not being genuine in their question. This is a test. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're, they're trying to make Jesus say something that they would be able to say Jesus is disqualified from being a teacher, from, from being a rabbi. And so th this is not genuine. This is not them genuinely seeking you know, Jesus, I'm in this marriage, my wife has committed adultery, my wife has abandoned me, or Jesus, my husband has committed adultery, my husband has abandoned me. 
uh, my husband is abusive. Uh, what, what are the contexts? What, what, where do I stand? What should my, my next course of action be? That is not what they're doing. Instead, they're trying not to follow Jesus, but to discredit Jesus. So, so we, want, we got to make sure that, that, that we understand their question is not genuine, their question is not sincere. The Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause or any reason? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They, say, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would help us that you would help us to see the truth and the goodness of your word and of your law, and that you would enable us through the power of your spirit to live as citizens of your kingdom. Lord, that we would be able to say, like the Apostle John, that we love to keep your commandments and that your commandments are not burdensome. Lord, if there's anything in here today that seems burdensome to us, It is only because we have not rightfully understood your truth. Because your law is called and is the law of liberty, the law of freedom. So Lord, help us to see how this law helps us to walk in freedom today and not in bondage. Because you came to set us free from the captivity of sin and Satan so that we might live free loving you and serving you and keeping your commandments. We thank you for your word today. May it be a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now the scribes and the Pharisees had accepted a distortion of God's law. We see in both of these passages, both in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, a reference to Moses. A reference to Moses and how Moses uh, said that a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce. If you can, hold your place in Matthew's gospel and go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. I want to look at the passage that they are distorting and I want to show you what they are doing. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy is the the fifth book of your Bible. Deuteronomy 
Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and that later man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who has sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. The first thing that we see that the uh, scribes and the Pharisees were doing is they were ripping this teaching of the law out of its context. Moses here is writing to a very specific context and he is talking about when a, a husband and a wife are in a marriage and the, the husband, there's some sort of impurity, there's some sort of sin that happens here. There's an indecency that, that she has not been faithful unto him, that he is, he is commanded then to, to legally dissolve the marriage and, and then she leaves and goes to another man and the same thing happens that that first husband is not to take back to himself his former wife who has now become the wife of another man. That's the context. And in Jesus' day, what they were doing is they were ripping uh, Deuteronomy verse 1 out of the context of what comes after it in verse 2 and 3 and 4. And there were two schools of thought, two controversies that were happening in Jesus' day surrounding Deuteronomy 1 ripped out of its context. And there was one rabbi that taught, his name was Rabbi Shammai, this rabbi taught that you could not divorce your wife for any reason, that, that basically there is no grounds for divorce whatsoever. He held to a very strict interpretation of this. There was another rabbi, that was Rabbi Shammai, Rabbi Hillel held a very relaxed view, and this was the view that the scribes and the Pharisees had. This relaxed view was what they were asking Jesus about. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? For any reason. And so they literally taught the teaching that was prevalent in Jesus' day was that if you as a man just all of a sudden woke up one day and you weren't happy with your wife anymore for whatever reason, you found somebody else that looked better and you just decided, you know what, my 50-year-old wife, I'm going to divorce her and I'm just going to get a 20-year-old wife now, you can do it. Because Moses said that if you find something about her that you don't like, you can divorce her and send her away with a certificate of divorce. They even taught to the point of, if she burns the toast, 
write her a certificate of divorce and go find someone who knows how to work a toaster. And so it was very abusive. And it was a total distortion of God's law. And the Pharisees had, had sided with this teaching from Rabbi Hillel. And this is why Jesus says, you have heard it said in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said. I want to read you a quote on this passage from uh, a theologian from the last century, R.J. Rushduni. Listen to what he says here. He says, it is noteworthy that the law of divorce, he, he puts it in quotes, as taught by the Pharisees, that this, the way they interpreted this law, and cited by our Lord in Matthew chapter 5, he says it's noteworthy that it strips from the actual law all reference to God's purpose for marriage and the legal ground for divorce. Rather, it reduces divorce to a masculine prerogative and power. And here he, he quotes what they had taught. Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. This is a false summation of Deuteronomy 24.1. It eliminates from the law God's standard of holiness... Namely, the fact that there was some uncleanness or, or indecency in her, that she had committed some sort of sin or sexual impurity. And so it eliminates from the law of God his standard of holiness, and it leaves only one determining factor, man's will. This is evil. That's the end of that quote from R.J. Rush Dooney. So this is what was happening in Jesus' day. They had taken God's law, they had pulled it out of its context, the, the context around which there's the teaching of holiness in marriage, fidelity in marriage, faithfulness in marriage, and simply taking the first part that says, look, you can just write your wife a certificate of divorce and you're good to go in God's eyes. And Jesus now in Matthew chapter 5, if we go back to Matthew chapter 5, he says, no, that's not the way that it is. Jesus in Matthew 5 upholds the standard of Deuteronomy chapter 24, upholds the standard of God's law. Again, verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, again, finding some impurity, find, there's been some uncleanness, there's been some breach of the covenant. That, that in God's eyes, that marriage is still binding. And therefore, he says that if you do that to your wife, you make her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman in that state also himself commits 
adultery. Now, I I want to now flip forward again to Matthew 19. Because this is a, a more fleshed out teaching here. And I want you to notice something. That when they ask him, they come to him to test him. Jesus is just brilliant, right? Jesus didn't just, you know, he didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I don't know what that means, but I've heard people say it. He he knows what they're doing. And he, he rebukes them. He rebukes them. They're, they're trying to trap him based on an interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. And how does Jesus begin his answer? Verse 4, 19.4. Have you not read? He begins by saying, Have you, do you know your Bible? Have you ever read the Bible? What, what, a, what an amazing statement. And the, the portion of the Bible he quotes isn't in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. The, the, quotient, the, the, the passage that he quotes is from Genesis 1 and 2, the very first pages of the Bible. He's saying, guys, you don't know how to interpret Deuteronomy 24 because you, you didn't read Genesis 1 and 2. Let, let, me, let me give you a teaching on marriage. He says, you don't understand divorce because you don't understand marriage. So before we can even start talking about divorce, Jesus says, I need to bring you up to speed on what marriage actually is. And so Jesus gives this teaching on marriage from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And from this, we can see three things. I'm going to give you these three things that Jesus gives for us today. The first is that he says marriage is an institution that is created and blessed by God. Marriage is from God. Marriage is not a social construct. Marriage is not something that mankind invented. Marriage is not something that that we came together and collectively decided it would be better if we could pair off uh, a man and a woman together and that they could form a family. This would be a good way to structure society. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says marriage was created by God from the beginning. So marriage is an institution created by God and blessed by God. Therefore, God is the one who defines what a marriage is. Amen? And Jesus goes on to say what a marriage is, created by God, defined by God, and it is one man and one woman. Now, because we live in a culture that has has not read, that is not based on the Word of God, that hasn't uh, opened up to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in a whole long time, Though, though our country was founded on the word of God, we have strayed. We have then been educated in, a, in another religion, 
not the one true religion, but another religion, secularism, humanism, atheism, evolutionism, all of those ideas. Because we have rejected God and we don't believe there's a creator above us that creates everything, we're all just meat walking around doing... Sorry, we're all just... You're all in trouble now because I just put my watch in my pocket. Um, we're all just meat walking around, just animals. Just, just, so, so the culture just says, do whatever makes you happy with whoever makes you happy. Just blah. So therefore, marriage is not a gift from God. It's not from the creator. We can, we can update it. We can redefine it. It's, it only ever was a social construct. We can rewrite the social contract, contract. That's what the Supreme Court did in 2015 with the Obergefell decision. And hear me in this. That is idolatrous. Because the Supreme Court declared itself to be God with that decision. Amen. Because God is the only one who defines what marriage is. And the Supreme Court and our government thinks they're God, thinks, thinks the state is God, thinks that they can play God. And so through Obergefell, which I'm praying and I pr hope you're praying too, that one day Obergefell, and I'm not just praying, I'm believing, that one day Obergefell will be in the same dustbin of history that Roe v. Wade is in as well. And that we will once again recognize God's authority. God defines marriage. And, and notice here who's involved in marriage. A man and a woman and God. And God. God is the one that joins them together. God is the one that joins a man and a woman together in marriage. M many people today don't understand divorce because they don't understand marriage. They think that marriage is just an agreement between two people, a private thing, a, a, a contract between two parties. So then if that's all you view marriage as, it's just a contract between two parties, well then why can't, why, why can't two men make that kind of contract? Why can't two women make that kind of contract? And and we want to be inclusive, so why don't we let three men and two women get into a marriage contract? And you see where this goes. Marriage is not a contract between two parties. Marriage is a covenant between three parties. Man, woman, and God. Man, woman, and God. And now the, the state has stepped in to redefine marriage... And they now say, we're the, we're the God, we're the glue that holds two parties together. Christians, we need not have this secular view of marriage. That, that's how this whole thing went off the rails, is when we stopped listening to the words of Jesus and started listening to the words of the philosophers and the 
sex therapists and relationship gurus and blah, blah, blah. That between a man and a woman, God joins them together and he joins them in a one flesh union. This is the sexual union. Therefore, sex is only for marriage, period. Sex is for marriage, period. The only way to express sexuality in a way that is God-honoring and God-glorifying and is not breaking God's law is a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. That is it. And that sex is a blessing bestowed by God on those who will enter into a marriage covenant. And it is solely reserved for those who are in a marriage covenant. Now again, oftentimes the church today doesn't think of sex that way. Because we have been trained by the fallen culture. We think of sex as an activity separated from marriage. That just anybody can be involved in. And as we saw last month, you can even be involved in it in the streets. God help us. It's no longer reserved for the bedroom. It's for the public square now. And it's no longer reserved for a husband and wife in a covenant marriage. It's for anybody, anywhere, because we're all just animals. You see, we're not animals. We're created in the image of God. You have a conscience. You, you were created with the law of God. Uh, 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 the, the revelation of God as creator that that is given to us in nature. And when we sin against God in our sexuality, we know it and we bear that burden of guilt. And that is why the world is trying so hard to absolve itself of the burden of guilt that they want to parade their sexuality in the streets and be applauded. It's because of the burden of guilt and shame that comes from sin. But hear me in this, there's only one way to have your guilt dealt with. And it's not by parading it in the streets in front of children. It's by taking it to the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ is the only place that we will have our guilt and shame dealt with. We as the church have to understand this. We of all people need to understand this so that we can proclaim this. You see, when we proclaim the gospel of God's grace, it's not unloving. It's not intolerant. It's, it's the most loving thing that we can do because we want people to be set free. To be set free from the guilt and the shame that comes from abusing our bodies in a way that they were not designed by God for. But when we separate sex from marriage... And, and just put it into something that people do for recreation and enjoyment. We divorce sex from its original intent and design. And Jesus here places that one flesh union, the sexual union, and he confines it within the boundaries of marriage. Also what Jesus says here, and I'm, I'm still on my first point, that marriage is an institution created and blessed by God. This institution goes back to creation. It goes all the way back to the beginning. 
What this means is that marriage is a creational institution or creational ordinance is binding on all humanity everywhere in all places and in all times. That this design of one man and one woman in a sexual union, that defines what marriage is. This is for all people, all times, all places, all of humanity. It's a creational institution. And our cultural norms must submit to creational institutions. This idea that, well, the culture changes and the church just needs to update with the culture. No, the church is what's called the pillar and the support of the truth. That it's the church's job to uphold the truth of God as revealed in creation and revealed in his word and revealed by the word made flesh who spoke his word to us in the gospels. And so we uphold the creational norms. We do not submit them to the culture. He says that it's not good for a man to be alone, quoting from Genesis 2, that a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, that, he, that the, the woman is a helper fit for him. Proverbs 18.12 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Therefore, husbands and wives should receive each other as a blessing from God. If you have found a spouse, if you have found a husband or a wife, you have received favor and blessing from the Lord. And you should view your wife or your husband as such. They are God. They are, they are an expression of God's blessing in my life. So God's purpose for marriage is tied to his purpose for humanity in creation as image bearers. And that when husband and wife come together in marriage, they are imaging God in a particular way. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, that, that the husband is a picture of Christ in the marriage and that the bride is a picture of Christ's body, the church in the marriage. And that when a, a Christian marriage rightfully uh, lives out their marriage under God, according to God's word, that that Christian marriage shows forth the image and the glory of God in creation. A beautiful thing is what God intended marriage to be. And so God's purpose for marriage is tied to his purpose for humanity, which is to say, to bring him glory. God's glory is displayed in marriage. Which means that marriage is not simply about our personal fulfillment. And if we make marriage about, well, I'm not being fulfilled, I'm not being satisfied, guess what? You're not going to be fulfilled or satisfied in anything. Marriage is about bringing God, God glory. And when we submit our lives and our marriage to God's word, we show forth the glory of God. But when we make marriage about our own personal fulfillment, we do not bring God glory and we also don't find fulfillment. But as it turns out, because we were created to bring God glory, if I will instead of seeking fulfillment in marriage, instead seek to bring God glory in my marriage, you know what I will find? Fulfillment and satisfaction. 
There is a great deal of, of fulfillment and satisfaction to be found in marriage, but not if I seek that from my partner, but rather if I seek my satisfaction and my fulfillment in Christ. Because if you are looking for your marriage to satisfy you instead of Christ, you end up placing a burden on your spouse and a burden on your marriage that it cannot fulfill. Because even in marriage, the satisfaction that is there, it doesn't come from marriage or my spouse. It comes from the God who created marriage and my spouse. So as we as God's people seek to live under God's rule and reign in his kingdom, obeying his word as it applies to marriage, we bring him glory and we find the most satisfaction and fulfillment. So, marriage, a creational institution blessed by God. Secondly, Jesus in his teaching, I'm going to move through these last two quickly. Jesus in his teaching says that marriage is a lifelong monogamous union. Marriage as God designed it was not designed to be broken. That was not the design and the purpose for marriage. It is a lifelong union, a faithful union with one man and one woman. And this should be in all of our minds as we go into marriage, and this should definitely be in our minds if we are married. The idea that you married the wrong person, and that's why you're not happy, that is a pagan idea. That is a pagan idea. Oh, I just need to find the right person. No, you need to find Jesus, and then you need to submit to his word. And then you will find satisfaction in marriage. You will not find it any other way. When we go into marriage, and when we are married, we must have this idea. Marriage is a lifelong covenant. That is God's design for it. There is no place for, well, let's just try this out and see if it works. No. Because Christ is faithful to the church... The church is faithful to Christ. The husband should be faithful to his wife and the wife should be faithful to her husband. This is the design for marriage. The design for marriage is a lifelong monogamous relationship. One man, one woman, blessed by God, brought together by God, held together by God for life. However, because of sin entering into the world, God has made a concession for divorce. Because of sin entering the world, God has made a concession for the marriage union to be dissolved, to be broken. But hear me in this, especially for God's people, divorce is not option one. Divorce is the final and last resort when every other attempt at reconciliation and repentance has failed. Divorce is not the first option. Divorce is the last option. And to be preoccupied with the reasons for which one can legally be divorced and, and trying to find a loophole and, 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 
you know, I'm, I'm just not satisfied with this person. They're just not making me happy. What, what can I do to get out of this marriage? If that is in your mentality, that's the same thinking that the Pharisees had. That's the same thinking that the Pharisees had, that Jesus corrects. But when the covenant of marriage has been broken through unfaithfulness, through sexual sin, and Paul goes on to expound upon this in 1 Corinthians 7. I don't have time to go there this morning. Paul writes a whole chapter giving different situations and scenarios in 1 Corinthians 7 on what to do when relationships break down because of sin. Paul goes on to say there that even abandonment is cause for legally divorcing in God's eyes. That if a husband abandons his wife, if a wife abandons her husband, that that person has broken the marriage covenant. And so... What, what it is, is in God's eyes, if the marriage covenant has been broken, then we move to the legality of making this official. But you do not go to the, leg, the legal court and make, try to make something official when the covenant has not been broken. And so because of sin, and because sin has entered into the world, and because there are sinners in marriage... God has provided the avenue of escape for the victim. You see, divorce is for the victim. Divorce is for the one who has been sinned against. Divorce is for the one who the spouse has been unfaithful and refuses to reconcile. That they would not be trapped for the rest of their life in that sort of an unfaithful marriage. So when the covenant has been broken because of sin, then divorce is an option. But it is not the first option. It is the last option. When every other avenue of, of counseling, of, of prayer, of seeking restoration, of seeking reconciliation, of seeking repentance, of, of trying to humble ourselves and to, to, to sanctify our, our hearts and to to work with one another and to doing everything that we can to make it work. If one of the parties refuses through their word or their deed, then the marriage has been broken. But we need to understand this is not God's plan or God's design. And that to seek out a divorce simply because... Well, we just don't like each other anymore. We fell out of love with each other. Listen, that's Hollywood. That's not the kingdom of God. Because guess what? You can fall back in love. You fell in love once. You know, it wasn't Cupid shooting you with arrows. That when, when two people, even if they've grown apart, even if they've grown distant, because God is a restorer, and because God is the one who blesses marriage, if two people find themselves in that position, if they will humble themselves under the word of God and seek Christ and to obey his word towards their spouse, 
I don't believe that there is any relationship that God cannot heal. God is the miracle worker. God is the one who brings dead things back to life. Because Jesus walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago, there is hope for your marriage that might seem lifeless and dead. Because Jesus knows the way out of the grave. And if two people will humble themselves and repent to one another and confess their sin to God and and endeavor to to obey his word, you're going to experience the blessing of God. You're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. So if you find yourself in a loveless marriage, you have to ask yourself, where is there sin in my life that I can repent of? Where have I, have I not been obeying God's word? And where have I not been pursuing Christ? Where have I become distant from Christ? You see, the truth is, in a Christian marriage, before you become distant from your spouse, you become distant from Christ. That's what happens first. That's the first step. And so we, we must go back to our first love. And our first love is not our spouse. Our first love is Christ. And if two people will go back to Christ, go back to their first love, they will go back to the one who has joined them together and they will experience his healing and his blessing. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying at the end it'll just be happily ever after and you'll just ride off into the sunset. That's Hollywood. That's not real life. But in this life, even with our faults and our failures, if we will confess our sins to one another, if, if we will obey God's word, we can experience God's blessing and God's healing and God's provision in marriage. And so again, God's plan from the beginning was never divorce, and he does hate divorce. But he hates divorce because of what it does to a family. He hates divorce because of of how it destroys and distorts what God's purpose is in marriage, which is to bring him glory. Because divorce tells a different picture. Divorce tells a picture that's not true of Christ and the church. You see, Christ is always going to be faithful to his church. And divorce tells a different picture. Divorce tells a different story and our marriages were designed to tell that story the greatest story the story of the one who is faithful and who will never leave us abandon us or sin against us and because we serve the God who who died for our sins who shed his blood for our sins he did this because he loves us So if you have been divorced or or maybe you're here today and you have sinned against your spouse, maybe you have committed adultery, I want you to know that God still loves you and that there is forgiveness at the cross of Christ. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful And just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all 
unrighteousness. And because God has forgiven us, when we have sinned against, been sinned against, we can also forgive others. We, we, we don't have to go through life chained to our past by bitterness. You know that's what bitterness does. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness keeps you chained to your past. But because Christ has set us free, we are now free to forgive others. And that forgiveness that we offer that has been extended to us in Christ, it sets us free of our past. If you, if you have been sinned against in marriage, maybe your, your spouse was unfaithful to you, maybe your spouse abandoned you, and you have been holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness because of that, let me, let me warn you and let me caution you that unforgiveness and bitterness is a tool of the enemy to keep you chained to your past. Jesus came to set you free. And you can forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. And if you will understand how much you have been forgiven, you will be able to forgive any offense that has been done to you. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying it's possible through the power of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Lord, these are sensitive issues because they touch at the very core of our hearts, our, 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 our affections, our emotions, our loves. You've given us the perfect picture of marriage. We are all imperfect. There's only one perfect marriage and we share in it as your bride. Lord, every other marriage is an imperfect picture of the picture you give us. But through your word and through your spirit, through your work in our lives, you bring healing. You bring wholeness. Lord, I thank you that there are no stigmas in the kingdom of God because your blood covers our sin. That when you see us today, you don't look down from heaven and see, oh, this person's divorced, this person was involved in this, this person in that. Lord, when you look down from heaven, you see us clothed in your righteousness. Help us, Lord, to, to see one another in that light. Lord, if we've been sinned against, help us to extend the forgiveness that you have extended towards us. Lord, if we've sinned against others, help us to seek out reconciliation and forgiveness. Lord, thank you for your spirit that works in our lives. Lord, I pray for your blessing to be upon our marriages. Lord, for your uh, uh, healing touch to be on our hearts. Lord, that we would not keep a record of wrong, but that we would walk in forgiveness with one another. Lord, that as we endeavor to submit our, our hearts and our lives to your word, as we endeavor to seek you and to seek first your kingdom, as, as we pursue you 
Lord, that you would draw us not only closer to you, but closer to our spouse as well. Lord, that your love would flow through our marriages. For those whose marriages have grown cold, Lord, that you would rekindle them. Lord, that you would rekindle those flames. Lord, that you would rekindle them as you draw us all back to yourself. God, I thank you that you are shaping and forming us into a people that show forth your glory. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.